Hi everyone, welcome back to Dubai Natural Muscle Podcast, episode eight, and we are going to kick on with a conversation that kind of got started in the last episode in regards to training intensity, training volume, not training hard enough, um, and how you can take some of those principles into your training and make sure that you are training hard enough to actually be gaining muscle. So figured, Kyle, we'll start off with a bit of a kind of glossary of terms. Um, what is training volume? Let's discuss that first. Okay. Well, training volume is just basically how much uh, work you're doing throughout the week in terms of specific muscle groups or specific uh, body parts. So by work, we mean capacity. So uh, whether you're doing, say, for um, your quads, you're doing 12 sets a week total, or you're doing 16 sets a week total, that's your volume. And then you can also look at the rep ranges that you're doing with that. So yeah, you might be doing three sets of leg extensions, but three sets of 10 reps versus three sets of say 20 to 25 reps with a drop set, that's a different volume as well. So volume is just the amount of work you're doing per week per muscle group. Yeah, cool. What have you found in terms of splitting you know people still doing maybe they do all 16 sets on one day or they do 16 sets split into two sessions across the week um how you found that affects people moving forward particularly naturals i guess i mean it is it is based on preference some people can i think train once a week and get great results from it um on a specific muscle group personally for me after training for you know, eight or nine years, if not 10 years, um, I just found that I can't get my all out of specific movements if I'm doing it all in one day. So for example, if we're talking about, like I said, quads, um, if I do a back squat and I work to a heavy RPE on my back squat, right? And then I go into a leg press. Okay, well, those two movements right there, if I tax them hard enough, are going to um, fatigue me quite a bit. So then if I try to do say another three or four movements that are quad dominant, sure, I'll be able to do them, but will I be able to push them to the same level that I would if I put them on a different day? So for me, uh, I like to split up in between for two workouts throughout the week for a specific muscle group so that I can really push those specific movements, um, a little bit harder. I can pick up the volume a little bit more throughout the week. Um, and I can push the load a bit more on each individual movement. Yeah, that's pretty much exactly what I wanted to say, because I think that's where people um, who are perhaps either st stuck into it because of habit, or maybe that's all they've heard, all the information they've heard of kind of doing the kind of once a week bro split style of training. Um, and they, they wonder maybe what the advantages of splitting it up across the week. And I think I've found that myself as well. Like that is exactly why, particularly for, for natural guys and girls, splitting up across the week is so much better because the quality of work done across those equivalent sets is so much better when you've had a bit of rest um, and you've had time to recover between sessions, um, which I think also lets us discuss the kind of the idea of junk volume. Like what have you, what do you think, what do you, how can you explain junk volume best to people? I'm just kind of going off what I just said. So say um, you can put this into practice if someone's listening. Um, you can try this one week and then try the next. 
give yourself a big leg day one week where that's just the only leg day you have that week and do um, back squats to say an RPE of eight or nine, do your leg press to an RPE of eight or nine. And then for your third movement, do something that is a little more quad dominant again, like uh, say a Bulgarian split squat, do that to an RPE of eight or nine. Tally down the weight that you do for that Bulgarian split squat and the reps you're able to complete in that given volume. Okay. And, and tally that for that week where you just do one big leg day. Now what I want you to do is go to the next week and do two different leg days, right? So split up your back squats and, and leg press as your main movements on one leg day. And then say you can say on the next leg day, if you want to see the difference, do Bulgarian split squat, your first movement the next day and see what your weight is for that movement and what your, what your load, or sorry, what your reps are for that movement. I guarantee you, you'll see the difference for that Bulgarian split squat where the first week, maybe you do a hundred pounds for 10 reps. The next week, you'll probably do 140, 150 pounds for 10 reps. And that's just that, that fatigue that wears in throughout a workout. So if you're pushing yourself hard enough on those main movements in your workout, those accessory lifts aren't going to have the same, uh, same load. They're not going to have the same ability to push the reps because you're going to fatigue, right? So whatever you consider your main movements, you should split them throughout the week. So for me personally, it would be the back squat and the leg press on one day. And then the next day it would be the deadlift and a pendulum squat. But if I tried to do all four of those movements in the same day each week, I wouldn't be able to get the same out of the third and fourth exercise that I select in that workout. The load would come down, the reps would come down, and most likely the volume would come down because you're just beating yourself up. You don't have the ability, say in a two minute rest period, between exercises to properly recover. Your body is going to be fatigued after those first two exercises, especially when we're talking training intensity, if you're training at the right intensity for those movements. So um, I do think it is a little bit different if uh, we're not talking the natural route because your body will be able to recover uh, intra workout a little bit easier. Um, but if we are talking the natural route, I think it, it serves most people or the grand majority of people best to split up your main movements that you're looking to progress throughout the weekend. It's not even just legs. It can be uh, upper body as well. So say you're doing push. Well, it doesn't make any sense to have, uh, you know, a bench press and an overhead press. If those are your two favorite movements or your two main movements, it doesn't make any sense to put them on the same day because you're, one of them is going to suffer from the other. So whatever one you start with, say you start with bench press, well, when you go to the overhead press, you're not going to be able to press as much as you can physically. So it makes more sense to split those throughout the week. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that's where people get really mixed up in thinking they're thinking they're training hard when they're actually just yeah, okay, it's you're exerting yourself a lot like that. That like your your example, the one big leg day, like that's going to hurt. You're going to feel like you trained really hard, but you're not training efficiently. You're not getting the most out of your training week than you potentially could. The other big aspect I've found of junk volume is really obvious in when I train and I get other people to train arms. Like if you're doing, let's say four exercises for biceps on one day, like are you really, by the back end of that day, really getting the most out of those last two exercises? Like I, I, would, I would bet my money that like, those last two exercises are just going through the motions. Like you're not really 
probably not, well, you're definitely not lifting your maximal. You're probably your proximity to failure in terms of what you could be doing if you were fresh is way far away from what you could be doing. And you're basically just doing some bicep movements at that point. Like you're really not, you're probably so pumped from the first two movements. You're not getting a good contraction. You're not managing to squeeze everything out of the muscle. Um, so it, that's where those, those occasions where it would make so much sense to put, you know, put those other two exercises onto another day and perform them like to your maximum ability. Um, the arms, delts, uh, definitely chest to a certain extent are all muscles that can really benefit from being, having their volume divided up a little bit and then training really, really hard when you do train them. Um, I think that's just something. Huh? That's where also you need to be, you need to be critical with um, your programming. So if you're not noting down your programming as you're going, it's very difficult to notice these things, right? So what you're saying exactly is like say you do uh in my case i do pushable legs so say you do a pull workout and you have four bicep exercises at the end you got to be critical with yourself in evaluating whether or not you're getting the most out of those exercises right so for me an example would be um i when i first uh, gathered a program for pull for myself um back in january I had, I think, uh, three bicep exercises in there. But what I noticed was just throughout the, the pulling motion of my workout, so throughout all the back movements, once I got to my biceps, I was already pre-fatigued quite a bit. And so if I could just cap out one, maybe two bicep-specific movements as hard as I could, then that was enough. Whereas when I was trying to do, like you said, three or four at the end of it, I noticed those last one or two exercises, I really wasn't getting what I needed to get out of them. And, and I can tell that by the load not being there, the reps not being there, even the mental uh, motivation not being there at the end, you're just, you're, you're fatigued, right? So you need to be uh, critical of your own program and evaluate whether or not you have, like you said, those junk volume in at the end of your workouts. Yeah. And if you do just take it out because really it's not gonna do you a whole lot of good at the end um and like what you said you could just put it into another day and get more of those movements you're not lowering your volume throughout the week because you still have it there in the week but you're going to be able to get more out of those movements and thus you're going to get more of a stimulus you're going to get more growth from just making that little tweak to your program yeah i think the thing that um we we all need a reminder of nowadays is like because we're all we're all bros at heart right is that like the the evidence does suggest there's like there is a dose response to volume like the more you do the more you grow but that also caps off a a top end so we all need to remember that like more is more is better until it's not better with volume like you will reach a peak where you just keep doing more and more and more and you don't grow anymore you're not getting more growth um in fact there might even be a point where it drops off again and you could potentially grow less um, from doing more volume. Um, not to say that you'll go catabolic, that doesn't really happen, but you, you, there's definitely a peak there. There's a sweet spot where you're doing a certain amount of volume and you're growing pretty much to your maximal amount. And then once you start doing more, you know, the, the fatigue and the recovery demands take over um, how much your body's able to grow. So you're doing all this volume, 
um, and actually hindering how much you could grow. So there's, it's definitely worth, you know, yeah, like you say, being critical about your training, taking notes about what you're able to lift. How does the pumps feel? Um, how, uh, how do your joints feel at the end of that workout? Like I know if I did four exercises for biceps and kind of at least three sets per exercise, my elbows would be fucked. Like I would just have a horrendous amount of pain and probably not much more kind of bicep feel and bicep pump and soreness compared to if I'd just done the first two. So that's where, yeah, like you say, it's really worth being critical and just having a look at what your training's actually delivering for you. I saw, I saw a round table uh, with Mike Isratel, um, Jeff Nippard, and I forget the other two guys around the round table, but they were discussing this, just how much your maximum volume is throughout the week, like maximum set volume per muscle group. And then the recovery ability, once you start to go over that maximum volume, I forget the term they use. Is it either MRV or MVR? I can't remember the exact M- MRV. Yeah. MRV, yeah. Um, and it's, it was interesting, right? Because as soon as you start going over that limit, so say for your quads, your MRV is 30 sets per week. Once you start going over that limit, the, the fatigue or the recovery ability starts to go down, right? You're, you're taxing that recovering ability. So you're actually not able to progress as much as you would if you – did a little bit less throughout the week so it's interesting as well right we because as people in this sport of natural bodybuilding or as people who are passionate about fitness you know we we have that urge to want to work hard through our workouts and sometimes that that motivation overwhelms you know the reasonable thought or the reasonable um training program right so yeah, sometimes too much is actually hindering your progress as opposed to pushing you further along. So you need to be, uh, like we both said, smart about um, how much volume you're doing throughout the week, but also how the intensity ties into that, right? Because if you're doing high intensity work um, in the majority of your movements, then you might not get up to that upper threshold of, say, 30 sets per week. So, for example, if you're doing um, if you're in the later stages of a program and you're doing, say, RPEs of 9 or 10 for three different movements for your legs, well, there's no way your volume is going to be at that cap out point of 30 sets per week, right? So tying in intensity with volume is another uh, component that you need to think about. And this is, this is a perfect segue, mate. You've nailed it. Um, yeah, so when we talk about – this is where the intensity now – finds the there's like a crossover point between volume and intensity that also i think people forget because i see all the time and it's going to be a little bit of a flame but i see people like uh really really ramping up my my uh my training now high volume and high intensity baby and it's like you you probably don't really understand exercise science if you're doing like high volume and high intensity um at least if you're doing that for a like prolonged period of time you might get away with that for like a block of training and then you know you might need to deload pretty hard but probably uh i just don't think you understand what's actually happening um so rather than flame anyone let's educate what is exercise intensity in terms of hypertrophy i know in strength circles it can mean something a little bit different but what when we're talking about building muscle uh losing body fat keeping muscle on the body what are we talking about when we're talking about intensity I like, I like to always, when I talk with clients, I, I kind of use sports as an analogy. Yeah. And 
I use different sports to compare each other, right? So I would like to compare, like if you're going at a high level of intensity, the reason your volume can't be super high is because at that high level of intensity, we're taxing our ability to recover intra-workout, right? So say you're doing a back squat or a deadlift or whatever it might be, bench press, whatever, at an RP of nine or 10. So that's your cap out for intensity. You're not going to be able to recover very quickly. So then doing stuff like supersets with those movements, for example, like I see a lot of times in the gym mistakes people are making is that maybe they do say like a leg press and then they superset that leg press with like jump squats, right? Because they feel like they're working harder, they're breathing heavier, they're sweating. And that means that they're, they're, they're having a good workout or they're doing more than just the leg press. Right. Um, and I, I like to use sports as an analogy. Um, so say you're playing a, playing basketball and you go hard for four or five minutes right and the coach takes you off for a breather right does it make any sense during that breather to then go do sprints on the sideline while you're trying to take a rest no it doesn't because then when you get back on the court your performance is going to suffer because you actually didn't rest and recover so that you could perform well when you're back playing and it's the same with a sport like hockey hockey is an even better example where you could have super high intensity um, if people out there who don't listen, who don't know hockey, you're only on the ice for about 40 seconds and you're off the ice for about three minutes and then you get back on. And the reason being is your intensity for that 40 seconds compared to say something like basketball or soccer is much higher. So you're only able to give it hard for about 40 seconds, but then you need more rest. So when you're designing a program, it's kind of the same principle. If you're going to give your main movements higher intensity throughout the week, so RPs of eight or nine. You have to be able to give yourself more rest in between sets and lower the volume. Because if you're trying to superset uh, RPE of nine leg press with jump squats, you can't, you can't suspect that set number two, set number three, you're going to have the same level of performance. If anything, that performance is going to be hindered by quite a bit because you're not allowing your body to recover. Yeah. So when we're talking intensity um, and we're talking volume, they go hand in hand. As your intensity increases, you shouldn't necessarily, or your set intensity increases. It doesn't necessarily mean you need to take the volume up as well. Sometimes you need to moderate which one you're going to increase and which one you're going to decrease. Sometimes you can do both, but I would say that's more towards the starting stages of a program, right? Whereas in the latter stages of a program, when your weights are super high, or sorry, your load is super high, um, and maybe your reps are going down a bit. Um, because you're going heavier, then that that volume has to come down because you can't match intensity with volume. Yeah, yeah. So that's a really good summary. Like for anyone listening and needs a little bit more of a uh, straight up summary of intensity. Like in strength sports, intensity would probably be defined as like load on the bar compared to your one rep max. But as people interested in gaining muscle. Um, hopefully we all understand that like it doesn't necessarily matter how much you're lifting. You can gain muscle doing three reps. You can gain muscle doing 30 reps. So percent of one RM is less important and not necessarily strictly what we're talking about when we talk about intensity, when we talk about intensity in terms of gaining muscle, it's how close you are to failure um, or proximity to failure. And yeah, it's going to be probably be get a bit confusing this podcast because Carl likes RPE. I use RIR, but they're the same thing. Like when Carl's saying RPE nine or 10, 10 is like you couldn't do another rep. Nine is you could maybe do one more. 
I would say that's like one RIR rep in reserve, keeping one in the fuel tank. Um, and, and that is essentially what we should all be using as our kind of gauge of intensity. And yeah, Carl, you're like, you're dead right. Like if you're going close to failure more often, uh, you, you're not going to be able to do, do as much. And I'm talking about true failure because there's people probably out there who'll be like, yeah, but I get off the leg, like a gnarly leg press set and I can go and do my walking lunges, no problem. I'm like, well, you could have done more on the leg press in that case. Just to be a bit of a dick about it, like you did not give your all on the leg press straight up because, and I'm not saying that you have to do every time you hit the leg press, you need to like crawl off it. That's not the case at all. But you should have the need to recover afterwards. Like even if you do a like four RIR or an RP six set, like that's still quite challenging, um, particularly in the higher rep ranges. That's still a hard set, and you should need to recover after that. Um, so it's, it's it's an interesting uh, concept for people to get their head around for sure, because, and I think that's potentially actually an advantage of like kind of a higher intensity more training to failure more often approach is that there's less wiggle room for error like you kind of know when you're you kind of know when you're there um that you've kind of nailed the intensity you're supposed to be training at so that can be an advantage of these kind of high intensity training blocks um but i do think the issue is when people think like well i'm trained to failure and they're doing a heap of sets. Um, it, it's well worth doing a high intensity, low volume training block to really get your head around the concept of training close to failure. What also, understanding when to apply certain things. So yes, it sounds like I'm. It sounds like I'm talking down supersets, and that's not really the case. I'm talking down supersets when you're doing them um, in correlation with exercises that you're looking for performance results. Yeah. Okay. So what I mean by that is say for a leg day, if I have two main movements, like I said, so a back squat and a, a leg press or a push day where I have a bench press and maybe I have a secondary movement for shoulders, but it's not my main movement. Okay. With those movements that I'm looking for performance results week by week, I'm not going to superset there. Whereas with the accessory lifts later on in the workout where we're not looking for the same performance goals, or they're not the same focus week by week, then that's where you can add in some supersets. That's where you can add in some intensity modifiers like drop sets and stuff like that. But when we're looking for the strictly performance goals, you want to match your intensity with that exercise. Um, and then the volume should just be something that you uh, kind of tick along the way. So if you're going week by week, you can add volume to a certain extent until it starts to affect your performance with those movements. And then maybe you need to adjust it or bring it down. Um, but like I said, at the end of the workout with your accessory lifts, that's where you can add in those uh, supersets or intensity modifiers. If you feel like that's what you get the most out of, but don't yeah. be doing that with the movements that you're looking for performance. Right. Yeah. Um, I, 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 Definitely like to echo that point as well. I have nothing against supersets. In fact, in the in my mesocycle right now, I'm doing a metabolite block, and supersets are great for like really nailing that kind of metabolite buildup part of the hypertrophy puzzle, um, which is definitely an, a, an appropriate thing to do. But yeah, yeah, that shouldn't be the meat and potatoes of your workout. It, that's back end stuff. 
Um, right. So they definitely have their place, kind of supersets, drop sets, these big in, ramp ups in intensity. But they, yeah, they're not going to help you in the meat and potatoes of your workout, which is lifting more weight for reps over time or getting stronger, I should say, getting stronger in a rep range over time. Um, it's really important to remember that. So it, it, it's tough. If people are struggling to kind of figure out their intensity and volume requirements, what are some of the signs that maybe they're doing too much intensity or volume or too little? I mean, I think it's all interpersonal. So of course. in terms of intensity and volume, this is where tracking is so critical um, because you can feel like you're working extremely hard. You can feel like you're taking sets to an RP of eight or nine. But until you get through about three or four weeks of a program, you don't really know where you're at because the next week, say if you're actually tracking, the next week you're going to push the weights a little bit higher, right? And then the next week you're going to push the weights even higher. And maybe the next week you push the volume higher, but whatever it might be, you're going to see that your body is actually capable of more. And until you get to that upper tier of intensity on that specific movement or that upper tier of volume on that specific movement, you don't really know whether or not you're actually working hard enough. And it's hard to know that if you don't track your workouts, right? So if we're not tracking, it's very, very difficult for us to know our true intensity. And it's very difficult for us to know if we're hitting an upper or a lower threshold for volume. So that's where you're going you're gonna to see the difference. Is my performance uh, better when I increase the volume week by week? Is my performance better when I push the load week by week? Or is it actually getting worse? as I increase the volume. And if it's getting worse, that might be, that might be a good indicator that your volume is already extremely high, right? So unless you're tracking, it's hard to tell someone whether or not they're doing enough volume or they're doing enough intensity because you don't know how your body responds to different thresholds. And yeah. the only way you can know how it responds to different thresholds is if you track and you challenge those different thresholds. Yeah, performance is a big indicator. Like I'll notice as soon as I start not really being able to progress as much as I had like for pre weeks previous, like a, I've probably ramped up my volume to a good amount and time for a deload. But another good way that people perhaps who are new to tracking their workouts or like thinking of trying to get a handle on this muscle soreness is a really big key indicator. Um, and I should really stress this with saying that muscle soreness is not the be all and end all of a good training session. That is a huge uh, misnomer. Um, so what is really useful is if you train the hell out of a muscle group and it's so sore to the point where like days after you've still got a little bit of residual soreness, that is a really good indicator that you are above your volume requirements. Um, equally, if you are, you know, you, you train a muscle and to be honest, you wake up the next day and you could, you could train it again um, without any drop in performance, without feeling sore. You probably did too little volume. So soreness is a really good gauge, a rough gauge of where those volumes could be. So, you know, yeah, if you're feeling like about three days after you've trained a muscle group, particularly if you're doing kind of twice week trainings like a push-pull legs, um, you know, if if in three days time after you train a muscle, you're pretty fresh and you're good to go. That's probably a good sign that the next week you could maybe add a few sets here and there. Um, 
And then you'll know that once you come back to training that muscle group the second time in the week, um, and now you are a little bit sore and maybe it takes a little bit of time to warm up or something like that, that you're in a good, you're probably in a good middle ground. And yet by the end of that training block, if you've increased your volume appropriately and you're getting to that second training session for the muscle group in the week and you're not so fresh, that's a good sign you're at your upper end of your volumes, but there's still time to play around within that spectrum. I think another, another interesting thing to talk about is if you're trying to evaluate um, your volume throughout the week and evaluate whether or not you're doing too much or too little, um, training maturity comes into play big time because muscle soreness, if you're in your first, say, two to three years of training, muscle soreness is going to be inevitable for almost any workout that is at least in a good realm, okay? Um, whereas for someone who's a little bit more experienced, this is where I think a lot of people they start hitting plateaus and they think they've reached their natural peak because uh, they feel like they have to do so much in order to get muscle soreness. Right. And I think I was that way for a little bit as well. Um, but then I stopped, I stopped focusing so much on muscle soreness as I did on my energy levels week by week, as well as my, my joint pain. Okay. And maybe that's because I do more strength-based training my off season, but I don't necessarily get muscle soreness, even if I push the volume up super high, like I recover pretty quickly because my body is used to, to exercise. It's used to weight training, right? So unless I do a type of workout that's completely off program, my body's not used to, then I'll have a certain level of muscle soreness. But if I'm week 10, week 11, week 12 into a program, if I'm trying to judge my, my volume and my intensity by muscle soreness, it's going to be very hard for me, right? Because the longer you've been training, the less you're going to have that, you know, the, the DOMS or the delayed onset muscle soreness as someone who's newer to training. So yeah. someone who's newer to training, uh, judging your program based on muscle soreness is a good way of evaluating where you're at. Because if you're like Charlie said, if you're sore for three or four days to the point that you like have a hard time moving about, then maybe you're doing too much. Right. Whereas someone who's, uh, a little more experience, say five plus years of training and your, your goals are more performance-based when you're in the gym, then evaluating it by your energy levels as well as your joint pain might be a better indicator. And a good example of that is literally just yesterday, um, I think it's like week 14 of my strength program, I did deadlifts and I could just tell that I overreached like crazy. Um, the first set was okay. Then I upped the weight. Second set was, uh, and then third set, you know, I, I just felt like even though I completed the set, I didn't hurt myself or anything like that. I could just tell I was overreaching and, you know, my, my lower back is a little bit more stiff than it usually is. Um, as well as with my squats that week, like my, my knees and my joints were feeling a little bit more tender. And that's a point where I realized, okay, I need to take a deload for a week or two weeks because I'm listening to my body I'm listening to my joints. Also, I'm listening to my energy levels. I've been quite tired this past week. So it really depends on what point uh, of your lifting career you're in as well. Like if you're earlier into the career, then muscle soreness is a little bit better of an indicator. Whereas if you're later into your lifting career, then you need to take other things into play like joints, energy levels. Yes, muscle soreness, because I think you can overreach still at that point with volume and whatnot. Um, but there's a lot of indicators that come into play and it really does depend on how experienced you are. Yeah. And I think another 
cool thing about getting more experience, and maybe you've noticed this as well, is you can actually get away with doing less volume because I found like your, your quality of work is so much higher. Like I can go in and do, um, particularly with back work and stuff like that, where perhaps when you're a beginner, you just, you don't, because you can't see those muscles working, it is harder to nail those movements. But once you start getting really good at contracting target muscles and putting tension on the tissues that actually you want to grow and you want to hit, like you can get away with doing two sets, three sets for an exercise and be really satisfied with the work done. Um, so it's an actual funny thing. And I've found this with a few other people, um, at least anecdotally, like as they get bed, get better at training, you actually do need to, or can get away with doing less work because the quality of your work is so much better. Um, and I think a lot of, uh, beginners intermediates fall into this trap of why they think they need to do four sets per exercise or five sets of even six sets per exercises because i'm going to be brutal with you those first two or three sets were warm-ups like you were just you didn't know probably because you don't log your training as well <laughs> you didn't know what weight you were supposed to use so you've just ramped up and you're counting those ramp ups as sets like and again, a huge advantage of logging is you can go in, warm up, and you have your two or three sets of the load you know you need to hit, the reps you need to hit, and you absolutely nail it with the ability to apply that mechanical tension to the muscles. So now not only do you not need to do as much, but the work you are doing is so much more anabolic, so much more uh, of high quality that you are, you're getting the results with, with way less work done well there's there, yeah there's exactly there's a difference between focus right so if your yep. focus is on uh execution and performance uh with specific intensities and loads that's going to be much different than someone who comes in and their focus is i just want to trash my legs today right like so i'm gonna do eight sets i'm gonna superset everything sure one person might leave the gym crawling and one person might still be fine when they leave the gym but if you look over the span of four months, who's going to see the better results? It's probably going to be the person who's focusing on their execution, who's focusing on their performance, and who's looking at a, a set target week by week, yeah. as opposed to just going into each workout trying to smash it as hard as you can. Yeah, one hundred percent. I know who's growing more. I know who's growing more out of those two people. Um, it's, it's again, we're both would, personal. Yeah, we're both would, personal trainers, right? So yeah. we've seen this a lot, where you've probably had clients come to you. And you evaluate, you know, what they were doing prior to coming to you. And they say, okay, when I do legs, I do like eight to 10 sets. Um, you know, I do about four, or sorry, eight to 10 exercises. I do about four sets per exercise. I superset this with this, yada, yada, yada. And then you get them to go in to do a workout and you maybe do five exercises for three sets. And at the end of the workout, they're telling you like, they've never been so exhausted at the end of a workout, yet they're doing so much less volume. And that right there, is like the perfect, you know, um, wrap up of intensity versus tons of volume or versus, you know, not really understanding what you're doing in the individual workouts and not having a set plan in place week by week, right? Because if you're not tracking and you're just going in to smash the muscle group that you're training, whether it be legs or chest or whatever it might be, sure, you might leave the workout feeling, you know, exhausted or fatigued but it's not the same type of fatigue as if you really up the intensity 
and smash the individual exercises with perfect execution um, and the weight that you want to hit, right? Yeah. I mean, a, a great like practical example of that is like, if you want to trash your legs, go and do 500 bodyweight squats. Like you're going to be sore the next day, but do you really think that's like a good stimulus to grow your legs? Unless you're a rank beginner, like definitely not. You're going to be really, huh? Also, where do you, how do you progress that? Yeah, exactly. You're going to do 750 two weeks from now. No. And it's the same with these people, you know, like I shouldn't say generalize, but Mm -hmm. it's the same with people that are just going into workouts, trying to smash legs. And like I said, doing, eight exercises, four sets. Okay. But how do you progress that a month from now? Are you going to do 10 exercises for five sets? You're going to be in the gym half the day, right? So having a more efficient approach and focusing on performance execution and tracking each individual week is going to be a much more sustainable plan for you to see results. Whereas just doing tons of volume, it's going to be very difficult for you to progress that program forward. Yep. On that note, I would urge everyone who thinks they train hard to do a block of low volume, high, like, and I mean legitimately high intensity work. I mean, for every exercise you do, maximum of two sets. Maybe you could even do Dorian style and do one set. And this will happen. The first week you do this, you will feel like you didn't train hard enough simply because you'll get out of those sets having not actually trained to an appropriate uh, proximity to failure. Um, So you'll have like, I guess a kind of term, a form of like buyer's remorse. Like you'll finish with that exercise and be like, ah, damn it. Like I probably could have done a bit more there, but don't go and do another set. Wait till the next workout and then like remember that feeling and actually go and train. Um, I promise you, you'll feel a little bit worse in the first week, but you'll really learn how to execute and how to get extreme amounts of quality out of each exercise you do. Like just by doing so few sets, it means you have to give your all on those sets. There's not, oh, well, I'll just do a third set. Oh, well, I'll just do a fourth set. Because actually at that point, those third and fourth sets are so non-stimulative anyway that you'd be much better off learning how to absolutely dominate two sets and leave the gym. Yeah, like Carl said, way, way sorer with better pumps, with better muscle stimulation than you've ever thought possible because you actually did quality work where you've put tension onto the target tissues. It's really worth doing just a month. Just give it a month of like two sets per yeah. exercise. One, maybe slightly heavier loaded. Um, with like an RPE eight or nine and the second one, uh, a back offset of slightly higher reps all the way to failure. Um, you won't regret it. Like you will suddenly learn what it really means to train hard. You don't need four sets. You don't need four sets. I'm just going to put that out there now and that's going to piss some people off and I don't really mind. Well, the thing is, no, it shouldn't piss people off because if you want to build the most sustainable, if you're, if you're someone out there who's trying to build a program for themselves and you want to build a program that is going to have you seeing results over the long term, okay, over say 16 to 20 weeks as opposed to eight weeks, and you want to continue to see results, like Charlie said, those first two to three weeks almost should feel like you're not doing enough, 
but that's the point of the program. You're progressing forward. You're progressing your volume, you're progressing your load, and you're progressing your intensity forward. Because if you start at your cap out, so if you start with a high amount of volume, a high amount of load, a high amount of intensity, how do you, how do you expect to progress that for four months? You won't be able to. And if you try to, more than likely, one, you're going to overreach. Two, you'll possibly get hurt. Or three, you'll get burnt out and just stop doing the program altogether, right? So if you are trying to plan a program, like Charlie said, those first two to three weeks should be minimal, right? But in that minimal amount of volume, you should be learning where your intensity is at, where the load needs to be for specific movements and the rep ranges for that load, where the intensity should be. So if we're talking a true uh, RPE of nine, Okay, when you get on the, say, the leg press the first week, you, you do two sets to 12, and you say, dang, you know, like, I feel like I had more in the tank. Note that down, and the next week, increase the load, okay? You do that again for two, two sets, and you say, okay, I still feel like I had more. Okay, increase the load the next week, or go to three sets the next week for the third week. And that's how you're starting to slowly figure out where your intensity levels are at, as well as where your volume should be at. And so if you're trying to develop a program, it suits you best to start slower, to start with less, so that you can work forward and figure out where you personally need to be, right? Because just because I do, say, 20 sets, or Charles does 24 sets for legs in the week, that doesn't mean that you need to jump right into that. More than likely, you know, I'm on week 12 of a program, or Charles is on you know, week 14 of a program, and we've progressed to that point of volume as well as to that point of intensity. So you need to expect that you need to do the same thing while learning where your personal um, boundaries are. Yeah, I mean, this is this is another kind of beginner mistake that we could have talked about in like a, the mistakes podcast. But like, if your program, if you've been given, especially if you've been given a program by someone, and again, I'm going to flame here, but whatever. Um, if your program is like three by something and you know, you've got all the sets and the reps written down and that's it. And you're just like repeating that week, week, week. That is a bad, that is not a great program. Like your program should be flexible. Like it might be two set, two sets of an exercise in week one, four or five sets of an exercise week five or six. That, that is, actually how a program should be structured like if you're doing the same sets and reps like and then you know go on fill your boots let me know how you go like you won't be making as much progress than a program where the variables are changeable like you should be able to get feedback and add reps maybe even take uh, add sets or take away sets um, as needed same with load add load remove load figure out where you want to be at that is a legit program just something that's you know being sent to you on uh, whatsapp and has no variable or changeable stuff in it is just it's not going to take you where you want to go frankly speaking if your goal is to really legitimately build some muscle look good and lose some body fat without you know extreme amounts of pain and effort well to get on to your rant um <laughs> let's do it the that's that's the biggest issue with the fitness industry today is that there are all these um, online fitness professionals selling eight to 12 week programs, eight week program to get you strong or 
12 week program to get you shredded, but they're set programs, right? So the volume is set in place. The load necessarily is set in place. The intensity is set. They're set programs. Whereas if you want to be as efficient as possible and see the best results possible, then it should be adjusted weekly, right? Like some weeks, you know, as much as I might want to, I'm not going to be able to increase the volume or I'm not going to be able to increase the load or intensity because the week prior, like I was just gassed. I was taxed out with what I was doing that week. So if I try to push it forward even more, um, one, I'll overreach, like I said, and burn out or two, I'm running the risk of getting hurt, right? Like if I hit an RP of 10 on a specific volume and rep range, and then the next week I try to increase the load and increase the volume even more. And then the next week I try to increase it even more because that's what a set program is telling me to do. You're, you're asking for some problems with that, that mindset or sorry, that plan, right? So these set plans, I would urge people to try to avoid because you should be able to assess your routine on a week to week basis. Now, if you get a plan that you can modify, then that's not necessarily a problem. So say there's a coach that gives you an eight week plan, but he gives you options for modifying that plan based on your performance week by week, then, then by all means that could work for you. But if it's one of these plans that you buy for say, you know, a a hundred Euro, right. A 12 week plan and everything is set in place for 12 weeks. You can't expect the best possible results from that plan. And you might possibly see that you're going to get hurt or you're going to overreach. Yeah. It's very well worth having like a, I always try and describe it as like, it's a template rather than a plan. And it's a template because we, you can fit stuff in where, where you want to have this applicable to you as an individual. Um, but yeah, there's a whole other programming consideration to, to talk about another time, I think. Um, that other thing, one more thing to talk about, or I'd like to talk about in terms of intensity is just, um, training to failure. Um, and kind of maybe I guess the pros and cons, but then also, you know, people who say, Oh, I'm doing four sets to failure. Um, what's your kind of, what's your take on training to failure? What, what, when is it appropriate? Are people who are doing four sets to failure actually trained to failure or are they just, uh, have big egos? Well, yeah. Well, number one, assess whether or not you're actually trained to failure or like, there's a difference between RPE of nine and RPE of 10, right? So say with a back squat, I would say 95% of people who do back squats who say they train to failure don't actually train to failure because failure, an RPE of 10 on a back squat should be like that last rep takes you almost damn near five seconds to get up from the bottom, right? Whereas an RPE of nine or eight is much different. So number one, are you actually trained to failure? Number two, what exercises and what muscle groups exactly are you taking to failure? Because you can take four sets of, you know, a preacher curl to failure, right? Because the bicep isn't necessarily a muscle that you need to worry about injuring by taking all the way to failure. Whereas if you're taking like four sets of deadlift or four sets of leg press all the way to failure, that's another story, right? So what exact exercise are you taking to failure? Um, I think taking reps to failure has its place, but I don't think necessarily, you know, 
I should be doing an entire exercise every single set to failure, unless it's like I said, an accessory lift, like, like a bicep curl or something like that near the end of your workout. Right. But if you start off your workout, say with leg press and you do four sets to absolute failure on the leg press as your first exercise, you cannot expect your performance for the rest of the workout to be even at par, right? You can't expect your performance to be any good because you've already taxed your central nervous system by doing that. Um, so I think there's a time and place for failure. I think even on the first movement, you can take something to failure, but maybe just one set, right? So if I'm doing four sets of leg press, maybe the first three sets I do at RP of eight or nine or whatever it might be. Um, but then the last set, I can really take it to that absolute failure point. Um, but not all the way through because you gotta, you gotta take into play. Okay. We still have the rest of our workout to go. So if I'm going to failure on every single set, I'm going to hinder the rest of my workout. Right. Yeah. That, that's it. Like, I think you've nailed it for me. Failure is very exercise specific. Um, like, yeah, your squats, deadlifts, actually any hip hinge, more or less anything that loads the lower back to a big extent is like, the benefit of going to failure on those exercises versus like a, an RIR of one or an RPE of nine is massive. Uh, it's, it's, sorry, minimal. The benefit is minimal. Like if you keep one in the chamber, um, you're way less fatigued systemically, but then also you way lower, particularly on lower back loading exercises, way lower risk of injury um, for the sake of one rep, which so it makes sense. But yeah, you're right on machines, uh, isolation movements like fiddly boots like i don't think you're going to be completely throwing the form book out of the window by going to failure um you're a little, but a note you're on, a little safer you're a little safer on single joint movements let's just put exactly that way than yeah on compound movements yeah because again on single joint movements and machines what's the worst thing that can happen when you fail is you just the machine clunks down into its bottom position and, you, and you're finished um, whereas, yeah, you can imagine with a barbell on your back or when you're halfway down in a deadlift on a hip hinge uh, and you fail, that could be pretty rough, to say the least. But um, a little bit of a follow-up on what Carl said. Again, like if you're doing four sets to failure and you're doing 12 reps set one, 12 reps set two, 12 reps set three, 12 reps set four, you're not going to failure, okay? <laughs> like We need to be clear on this. You're not training actually as hard as you think you're training. If you were to do four sets to failure, your reps should drop off. Like you should not be able to do the same number of reps that you did on set one as set four. It is as simple as that. And to be honest, even if you're training with reps in reserve, you still see some drop off in performance. That's totally normal. But again, for anyone kind of who's struggling to make progress and wonders why you're not, and you're matching reps every set, you're not training hard enough. Like you are clearly on, on set one doing a very large number of reps in reserve and maybe, maybe on set four, you're now reaching failure from the built up accumulated fatigue, but your overall set RP is probably still only like six or maybe even a five. So again, this is so key when why writing stuff down and addressing your training in hindsight is so, so important rather than just thinking, well, I did four sets of 12 and they were pretty hard. So that's failure. Like it's not quite going to take you where you want to go. Yeah. 
Yeah. Also understanding rest periods, right? Like yeah. if you're taking, say you could get confused with an RP of uh, nine or 10 or to failure, for example, if you're doing say like an overhead shoulder press and you do 10 reps and then you only take 30 seconds in between and you smash another 10 reps out, but you feel like that last rep was to failure. Well, you're also not giving yourself enough rest in between, right? So your recovery ability isn't there. So understanding what true sets to failure are in relation to yourself. So whatever specific movement you're doing, but then also understanding, okay, did I allow myself to recover in between sets? And is that why maybe I'm, I'm feeling like that's my last possible rep that comes into play as well. So again, everything ties back to like jotting down what you're doing in your workouts and keeping a journal or keeping a program that you can write into, tell yourself how much rest period you gave, what it felt like in terms of RIR or RPE, how many reps you got so that each week you can look back and see how you can adjust things. Yeah, that's a great note. A quick, quick note on rest periods is like when it comes to gaining muscle, we're not training to be the fittest. We're not training to see who can exercise the fastest. We're trained to see who can train the hardest and that requires rest periods that are appropriate. Um, obviously if you're on a time crunch, if it's, you know, and I understand people train in the morning before work or in the lunch hour, that's different. But you know, if you're, you know, particularly training in the evening or you, you know, and you're dedicating that hour and a half to your training, take your time because that per set intention performance is going to be really important. I think we had a good rant there and a good little, uh, a good little discussion slash flame about different <laughs> principles of training and why it's important to understand the key, key two concepts really of intensity and volume. Um, last words, Kyle. I think uh, we've said it throughout the workout journal, your workouts, always have a notepad with you or on your phone, write down what you're doing. And that's going to be the biggest tool for you to really nail your intensity and nail your volume as you progress throughout the weeks. Yeah, that's dead right. And yeah, don't just don't just write down the, the sets, reps, and the loads. Like, think about how you felt, how your recoverability was. Were you fresh? Were you not fresh? And these things will help guide you into the right direction. Guys, thanks very much for listening. Um, I hope you got something informative out of that. Because again, we're all me and Carla both talking about mistakes we've made before. We've both done the GBTs. We've both done. Uh, training everything to failure and then wondering why we're injured all the time. And it's through experience that we've actually found, you know, some of this, the kind of middle ground that we're talking about now. Uh, Kyle, if anyone wants to talk to you about how you don't train hard enough, where can they find you? Uh, probably not the best way to start the conversation, but <laughs> you can find me on Instagram at Kyle underscore Gallant 24. Yeah. And I am at coach Charles Barclay. If you want to tell me about how training to, uh, training with RIR is for pussies and you will never gain any muscle. Then I'll talk to you about that as well. Um, thanks for listening, guys. We'll catch you in the next one.